The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. How was your 4th of July weekend? How was Rudy's up in the Poconos? I saw some of the pictures you sent from there uh, on Friday, I think it was, right? Friday you were, you were at Rudy's. Well, I, went to, I, went to Rudy's I went to Rudy's Thursday night, and it was good. It, it's always good. Sometimes it's better than others, you know, but there's always people in there that I recognize. And like I said, that was my, 40, my 47th year drinking in a bar that has not changed <laughs> uh, literally at all. The whole layout is exactly the same, including the bar stools and, and, and the booths. And they have a, they have a uh, fire cooker, uh, a grill that is 75 years old. And they have to search the country for parts when this thing breaks down because it doesn't exist anymore. Well, it says that the bar opened literally in the early 1900s. I mean, it's, I mean, you weren't there in the early 1900s. Um, The the parts that you were just talking about that they have to go out and try to find, they could just have new equipment. Um, But what, what kind of parts are we talking about for what kind of equipment? Well, whenever, you know, things break down on, on like a stove or something like that, or in this case, a fire, an indoor fire grill uh, that they have, and when they need a part, there are no parts to be had. So they have to search the country for old, junky, similar machines to get a spare part. Where they could just buy so a new machine. Looking... No, that, that, that would take away from <laughs> the glory of Rudy's. Yeah. You know, and what was interesting is uh, I, I saw the owner there, uh, and uh, she called over her husband, who is, is a big Washington football fan, it turns out. Uh, and uh, he refuses to call them the commanders, by the way. <laughs> well, so, a lot of us uh, feel that way. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit, and he tells me, and I remember this, like he said about a week ago, a guy came in here. He was dropping his daughter off at gymnastics camp up here, and he came in here and had a beer and had some food, and he said he came in here because you told him to, which I did. Some guy had emailed me asking, you know, he was going to East Stroudsburg, where should he go? I said, you got to go to Rudy's. 
So did he? So did, I'm, did, I'm did he? Him did he fill up your Yingling um, uh, glass with a with with a, with a beer? Well, let me tell you something. Nobody gets free drinks at Rudy's. <laughs> well, you, Nobody. You can afford it. I'm looking at the menu right now. It's not very expensive. Yeah. I used when I started drinking there. You could buy eight ounce glasses of beer for a quarter. Their food so, menu, they've got yeah, a but, but they, nobody, <laughs> nobody drinks for free at Rudy's. At least I never have. And I've drank for free in a lot of places. The liverwurst sandwich is just four dollars and fifty cents. Wow, liverwurst. <laughs> oh, that is horrible. I know a lot of people that love liverwurst. It was never a taste that I got used to. Um well good. Um so you had a nice this weekend. Is, this is James this is James Franklin's bar. When he comes back to East Stroudsburg, the Penn State coach, yeah, he always goes to like I do. He always goes to Rudy's as well. When you come back into town, you go to Rudy's. That's that's that that's generally what happens. It's probably and somebody asked me. Some somebody said to me on Facebook, "You must be the norm of Rudy's," and I said, "There's a lot of norms at Rudy's." Yeah, <laughs> when you me, a, a small town, you know, number one tavern slash bar is. You know, it becomes kind of a part of the community. It's legendary. I, when you're in a big city, you know, you have neighborhoods that have bars that have been there forever. But, you know, Washington doesn't have – I'm saying this, and I'm not, you know, probably the right person to describe this anymore, even though I go to bars occasionally – um, but you know, it's not like I hang out downtown. It's not like I'm in Adams Morgan all the time, or it's not like I'm in, you know, uh, 14th street, you know, area or Logan, or, I mean, we'll go down for dinner in various places, but I'm not a young person going to bars, trying to figure out what the good neighborhood bar is in right. Bethesda. Right. There are a couple of neighborhoodish kind of bars. There's one. Um, you know, that is not that far away uh, from my um, from my house. The Irish Inn at Glen Echo is kind of a neighborhoodish kind of bar. But you don't get as many of those in, I guess you do, though. Like in the Northeast, Tommy, even, you know, New Jersey and Philly and New York, there they're, they're so many more towns that are neighborhoodish kind of feel than I think D.C.'s yeah. had over the years. Yeah, and, and Pennsylvania is full of small towns. Right. And they all have more, way more bars than they do churches. Uh, so, uh, and this bar used to, like, uh, there used to be a printing company about a block away called Use Printing, and they operated around the clock, 24-7, three shifts. Right. And it was interesting, at 7 in the morning, uh, Rudy's would open its doors for the, the 11 to 7 shift that, that just come off of... Uh, of uh, the job at, at, at uses printing. So it, it's that kind of bar. Plus, it's a college town. It's a small college town, but it's a college town. And uh, i tell you another thing. I drank in a lot of bars before I was 21 there. Never Rudy's. They were adamant about carding. Never drank there before I was 21. Wow. Well, I mean, well, oh, that, that, so the drinking age was 21. See, for me, it was 18. I was grandfathered right. in, um, so we didn't have to worry about that. All right. Well, uh, good. What did you do on the 4th uh, yesterday? Anything? Sp- uh, well, actually, yesterday we came back from the Poconos and uh, went to the fireworks at Baker Park in Frederick. Baker Park is one of the great parks in Maryland, uh, and they have a very good fireworks show. 
so we went to that. On Sunday, we went to a family party in Flemington, New Jersey. What's interesting is it's, it was a party hosted by the next generation. In other words, a nephew, as opposed to, you know, and one of my sister-in-laws or brother-in-laws or something like that. So there was like a changing of the guard moment where the next generation basically hosted the, the family party on July 4th. Oh, wow. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah we, yeah, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I mean, although we should be close. I mean, I have nieces and nephews that are now in their 30s. So the, it, yeah. we, we should be getting close to some of that. But there are no <laughs> grandchildren anywhere um, uh, across uh, the landscape. Um, all right. Well, I, God, I did nothing yesterday. I watched tennis, okay. which I want to talk about here in a moment. Uh, and then, you know, like probably many people, um, which, you know, it unfortunately seems to be, um, you know, a once a month occurrence, you end up being glued to a news story. In this case, what happened in Highland yeah. Park, uh, Chicago, north of Chicago, a beautiful, beautiful area. I've spent time there. It's just it's it's a it's a great place. And that was obviously awful um, to, to to watch throughout the day. And and then I, I fell asleep early last night. We had we did have a barbecue. My my niece and her husband were in town heading back to Chicago, by the way, where they live. And they stopped by and um, so there were two, four, five, there were seven of us. And I just did burgers and hot dogs on the grill. Nothing, nothing spectacular. And, uh, and then afterwards, I think I, I, think I was asleep by nine o'clock. I, I didn't stay up for fireworks or anything. Um, like that, although I think my son and his girlfriend went down, um, went downtown to watch the uh, fireworks because he said something, uh, texted something about a ridiculous Uber charge to get home, uh, which, yeah, if you go down there and then you're trying to get out of there quickly, it's going to be expensive on 4th of July to get back if you Uber. Um, but, uh, other than that, I, I played golf a couple of times this weekend not yesterday. I played on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. And um, Sunday morning b- following, oh, my God, Tommy, you weren't here for this. And not everybody listening that lives in the area um, got this. But we had just an unbelievable rainstorm on Saturday night. Did you hear about this or not? No, I didn't torrential flooding rains that were very um, isolated in terms of the areas that were affected. It was like Rockville, Bethesda, you know, Chevy Chase, Silver Spring, Upper Northwest D.C., and that was it. I mean, I awoke on, on Sunday morning, you know, late Saturday night, Sunday morning, to rain like I have not heard in a long, long, long time. There, there was record rain amounts for some of the areas um, in town. I think Silver Spring had seven inches of rain in like an hour. Seven inches of rain. There wow. were roads shut down. There were high water rescues going on all over town. And it was an amazing um, amount of rain in a short period of time. Uh, the Capital Weather Gang always does a great job. I'm reading from it right now. Last night's flooding in northern D.C., southern Montgomery County, northern PG County was legit. Five to seven inches of rain near Silver Spring and Rockville 
overflowing overflowing streams, high water rescues, flooded basements, people displaced, etc. Uh, I know this. I'm in Upper Northwest DC, and at 1:30 in the morning, it woke me up, which it's kind of hard to do at 1:30 in the morning because I'm usually in hard sleep by then. And um, I looked out, and it was as if you were in the middle. You were standing in the middle of a shower. A flooding, you know, uh, shower, and it was just yeah. water pouring down. It was like a waterfall, uh, but it was really uh, an amazing rain. And then, then I thought my golf would get canceled Sunday morning. It didn't. Uh, the course trained amazingly, and so we played. And then the other thing I did this weekend was I watched tennis. You know that I used to be a big tennis fan, and I've got it on right now yeah. as we're recording this because Djokovic is in trouble in his um, in his uh, uh, fourth uh, fourth round match. I um I watched Nick Kyrgios's two matches over the weekend. Are you familiar with him or not? Uh, he's he's uh, the latest tennis crybaby, right? Well, he's not the latest. He's been this way. He's been tennis's bad boy for like five, six, seven years okay. now. But he's never okay. broken through at a major. He's never been beyond the quarterfinals at a major tournament. But, Tommy, he's so gifted. And this has been the promise of Nikirios going back. He's Australian, going back to when he um, came on to the uh, tour back in 2014. He was 19 years old, something like that. Um, and... Uh, by the way, the, the match Djokovic is playing right now is a quarterfinal match. Um, but anyway, he he's incredibly gifted. And the promise when he came out was this guy is going to be a major champion. And he's that talented. But he's had major demons. He has suffered from depression. He's had a lot of issues. He's been defaulted from matches. He's been, you know, uh, he's gotten into back and forths with other players, with lots of umpires. Uh, and, and his match on Saturday against Stefanos uh, Tsitsipas, who is the um, a top four player in the world from from Greece, and and has not broken through into a and won a major yet, but has kind of threatened that in recent years. Well, the match deteriorated into uh, Tsitsipas actually hitting a ball into the crowd, it banging off one of the walls and hitting an, a, a, a lady in the back of the head. He, and, and that turned into Kyrgios saying, well, he should be defaulted. I would be defaulted in a minute if I did that. And then it, the behavior from both of them was pretty bad, although really it was worse, I thought, uh, on Tsitsipas's, um, uh side. Um, but he just rattled the number four seed, and ended up beating him in four sets, four, four brilliant sets. The four-set tiebreaker was just so high level. Then he played yesterday, and he was in trouble against an American that I had never heard of. Um, uh, Nakash, uh, Nakashimi um, was his name. Nakashima, I'm sorry. Brandon Nakashima. And he um, lost the four-set. It looked like he was about to do what he does often, which is kind of head in the tank, although it usually, he usually wins at Wimbledon in five setters. And he destroyed this guy in the fifth set. And then this morning the news broke that he um, is going to be charged with assaulting his girlfriend back in Australia and has to be in court in a month. So this guy is a personality. He's a problem. He's had problems, including major psychological problems. But he's just so talented that when he's playing at a high level, it's kind of hard not to watch him and root for him. Um, so 
Now, here he is, you know, there's always something around him, um, and the latest is alleged assault of a former girlfriend, and he's going to have to appear in a Canberra courtroom next month. Uh, He's not going to be, you know, he doesn't have to do that tomorrow. Tomorrow he's going to play in a quarterfinal match to try to make his first men's semifinal appearance. But I don't know, sometimes sports need... Um, and I think tennis in this country for a while has needed a major personality, even if it's a negative one, if the guy is good and talented. And I think people are watching this guy. The place was But he's packed. Australian. I know. It doesn't he's Australian. Ma- doesn't matter. They're, oh, I think it does to a lot of people in this country. I think the big problem, everyone acknowledges, there's no American tennis star, male American tennis star. I think that's been a part of the problem, but I think there's also not been a big-time personality. Federer and Djokovic and Nadal have all dominated, and none of them are overly compelling personalities. Boris Becker and Bjorn Borg, Bjorn Borg because of his, you know, iciness and coolness, um, but there have been, you know, foreign players that were massive stars in this country. But be, Only because they had a foil against them in this country. That's in the seventies and eighties. That's probably true. Even in in the nineties, to a certain degree, I, there's some truth in that. But I think Boris Becker. Yeah, look, you're right. I mean, we've gone on now twenty years since the last American Wimbledon champion. Twenty two years. Sampras was the last American Wimbledon champion in two thousand. The last American male to win a major was 2003, Andy Roddick at the U.S. Wow. Open. I mean, that's pretty amazing um, that um, the American men have been in the desert, tennis desert, for so, so many years now. But it, it, it's the domination of three players that have just, I mean, they, we've never seen a tennis era like this, like w- with the domination of these three players. Fortunately for the U.S., Serena was you know, winning all those majors, and Venus was a big star at the time. But I don't know. Um, look, Kyrgios isn't Nadal or Djokovic or Federer, obviously, but he is one of the more gifted players. He's got, for those of you that have played tennis, and you and Tommy understands this. I'm not trying to exclude Tommy from the conversation. You hear the, the expression, he's got great hands. McEnroe had maybe the greatest hands and feel for the game of any player of all time, that's curious. He has some of the greatest, softest hands and feel for the game of of almost anybody that's ever played, but he's been incredibly self-destructive throughout his career. So I don't know. I'm kind of rooting for him, and then people will say, oh, you're rooting for a guy that just got charged with assaulting his girlfriend? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm not rooting for that. But I think the guy has been pretty cool to watch here over the weekend. So I watched, literally sat there yesterday for three and a half hours. I haven't done that in a long time and watched a tennis match. I've done that with golf. I've watched five straight hours of a, of a major golf on a Sunday um, lots of times on Saturday. But I haven't done that in tennis in a long time. And, and he made me do it, actually. I don't think I would have died. I wouldn't have done it with Nadal. You know, I may have done it in the final if it's Nadal Djokovic. But um, right. Kyrgios is—he's he, an interesting dude. Interesting. You didn't watch it, obviously. No, I didn't watch it. Did I just interest Not you in watching all. any of tomorrow's quarterfinal, Kyrgios? No, or no? 
No. Not no. Even, not even a little Absolutely bit. Absolutely not. Right. Did you ever watch tennis? Yeah, in the 70s and the 80s, like everybody else did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to play tennis. <laughs> I wasn't particularly good, but I used to play when, I mean, I remember that when they built the tennis courts down by the playground in East Stroudsburg, and we used to go down there and play all the time. And then went to Rudy's afterwards. Well, not until you yeah. were 21. Right. Now they're all pickleball courts. They uh, Pickleball's a great sport. You know how much I like it. Unfortunately, I injured myself uh, recently doing it, but I feel much better. All right. Um, <laughs> we got a lot to get to, uh, including um, a suggestion that maybe Washington would benefit from trading Taylor Heineke. We'll get to that and the stuff that was written about Snyder this weekend and a lot more uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This segment of the show is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com and use my promo code KevinDC and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. They will have everything you need for the upcoming football season. Uh, they've got everything you need right now for props uh, on the upcoming uh, football season. Uh, so go to MyBookie, use my promo code Kevin DC. So Tommy sent me this thing before the uh, before we started recording the podcast. Um, it's something from some fan website, but it came from a Bleacher Report story about a player that each of the NFL's 32 teams should consider trading. And for Washington, 
it was Taylor Heineke. And they wrote, quarterback Taylor Heineke started 15 to 17 regular season games for the Commanders last season. Clearly the team had seen enough. Heineke's a wonderful story as an underdog who rose to the occasion and got the most out of his ability. The undrafted free agent also had a stint with the XFL's St. Louis Battlehawks. By the way, I'll add parenthetically, as a backup quarterback for the XFL's St. Louis Battlehawks. Uh, the 29-year-old showed he can play even if he's not Kurt Warner. However, the commanders traded for Carson Wentz in March. Heineke's skill set didn't do enough to open up Washington's offense. Head coach Ron Rivera believes Wentz is can. And then they've got you know some quotes from Ron Rivera talking about how we can go vertical and we can open up the passing game. And then they mentioned Washington drafted Sam Howell in the fifth round and also signed Southeastern Louisiana's Cole Kelly. He's the big 6'7 dude, by the way. As an undrafted free agent, two rookies with promise behind Wentz should be all Washington needs at quarterback. Other teams, meanwhile, could use a quality backup or a bridge in Heineke. That from the Bleacher Report story of the players that each of the 32 teams should consider trading. Uh, I wouldn't trade Taylor Heineke. I don't think Taylor Heineke's a starting quarterback. Most of you know that by now. But I wouldn't trade Taylor Heineke. What are you going to get for Taylor Heineke? A sixth-round pick from somebody? A seventh-rounder? A conditional seventh? And the truth is, he has proven himself to be a decent backup quarterback in the league. And if you are going all in on 2022 being the season in which you've got to start your turnaround and you are all in on Wentz for at least 2022, I'm not saying keep Heineke in case Wentz doesn't work out, you know, and then Heineke can be the guy in 2023. No, I'm saying you keep Heineke because in 2022, if Wentz gets hurt and you're having a decent season, you've got somebody with experience to put into the game. I would never trade. I mean, you're not going to get anything for Taylor Heineke. So anyway. If they trade Taylor Heineke, then that's because they've got a Carson Wentz problem. <laughs> right? I guess. I yeah. Guess, I mean. But there's no good reason to trade Taylor Heineke except he makes Carson Wentz nervous. Yeah, but if. If you've got to trade Taylor Heineke because you've got a Carson Wentz problem with Taylor Heineke, then you've already got a Carson Wentz problem. Well, I would say that you probably you you may have. Okay, that's well, a possibility. Yes, it is you a possibility. You may have one at, at at this point. So what you've got to do is, since you're all in on Carson Wentz, you pre- pretty much have to like play to his needs, however petty they may be. You're not trade if you if if you can't convince okay Taylor uh, Carson Wentz as the head coach that Taylor Heineke's not a threat to your job, then you should not be in the business of trying to motivate uh, you know professional football players and coach fo- professional football players. If you if, sometimes sometimes those this is stupid go beyond your control. This is dumb. There's, go beyond your control sometimes. I know they had to, you know, make them aware that they were drafting Sam Howell, but trading Taylor Heineke because Heineke makes him feel uncomfortable is a. It, we've entered a, a, a different conversation here. The Sam Howell thing's bad enough that they that they yeah. felt compelled to tell him 
that they were that they were uh, drafting him as if that you know a fifth rounder. But you know Sam Howell was a big name. But everybody's watched Taylor Heineke enough to know that they wouldn't have traded for Carson Wentz and given up what they gave up and you know eaten his full salary if they thought that Taylor Heineke was any any bit of a threat to Carson Wentz. You know, didn't we talk about the ranking on CBSSports.com of the backup quarterbacks from two weeks ago? And the um, uh, of the veteran quarterbacks, not the new quarterbacks, Taylor Heineke was the sixth-ranked backup quarterback in the league behind, and they had Garoppolo in, in Mayfield as the first two. And then it was Bridgewater, Foles, Minshew, and Heineke. Now, I wouldn't have ranked him that high. Case Keenum was behind him. Andy Dalton was behind him. Tyrod Taylor was behind him. I think I would have considered those guys as better quarterbacks than than Heineke. But he is among the 32 NFL backups that start week one as backups. He'll be in the top third of backup quarterbacks in the league. I think you could make that case fairly. Yeah, the team is better with Taylor Heineke on the roster than not. Yeah, un- unless you had a, an- unless you had another backup quarterback that you were comfortable with, but you can't have that right now. You don't have that. No, no, you don't have that. Yeah, I mean, going into the 2022 season, they are better off with Taylor Heineke as a commander than whatever they could get from from trading him. And I don't think that they have a Carson Wentz problem yet. If they do, you're right. Then, then I mean, we're talking about. We're talking about a guy who needs who needs you know care, who needs you know medical care. If they do, no. If they if they have a Taylor Heineke problem, if they have a Carson Wentz problem that, that evolves from Taylor Heineke, it'll be once fans have seen Carson Wentz. Yes, I mean, I guess you could say that if Carson Wentz, if some of the things about him in Philadelphia were true. And he's not easy, and he's not you know easy to coach. He's not a natural leader in the locker room, and you start hearing some rumblings in training camp or early in the season that it's not going smoothly. But no, I mean I'm I'm not. I think Carson Wentz has to be at least feeling the pressure of I gotta I gotta make this work or my career is in jeopardy here. So I'm not going to really focus on my backup quarterback. I'm going to try to be the best version of me that the league's ever seen. And so if Taylor Heineke becomes a part of the conversation, it will be because of injury or performance. I, I agree with you. I agree. With you. And I think, I'm not saying that's likely. I'm just saying that it's a possibility based on Carson Wentz's track record in two organizations. Yeah. I mean, if Carson Wentz, you know, finally gets it, then obviously, you know, there's no Taylor Heineke threat. But the door the door's open to it. And yeah, until they start playing, it remains open. Would there be a bigger indication of Ron Rivera's referendum on 2022 of, you know, that that this being a referendum on Ron Rivera in 2022, that it's not going well than Carson Wentz getting benched. 
Is there any other thing that would wow. signify that signify that this all all in for 2022 thing and this is going to be the beginning of a of a sustained run isn't going well more than if I were to tell you that Carson Wentz before week 14 got benched. Listen, if that happened that would be you like walking down the street and a boulder hitting you on the head. And then you're saying, "Boy, this isn't my day, is it?" Yeah, the answer that would be a that, little bit of an indication. The answer to the question is there that, isn't that, anything that would we would be more of an indication. Like if somebody told you right, right now, Carson Wentz gets benched in week twelve, benched for performance, then you yes. know that through eleven games, they're like three and eight. Yeah, and it and it did not it, it did not pan out the trade, and you know who would be laughing loudly. Bob Ursay. No, not Bob Ursay. He's dead. Oh, yeah. The other, Jim Ursay. <laughs> he might be laughing. He might be laughing, Jim too. Ursay. The son, Jim Ursay, would be laughing. Yes. Um, yeah. So did you read the Post uh, story Saturday, Liz's, Nikki, and Mark Maskey's story? Yes, I did. I don't recall any of it, but I read it. I mean, Saturday's a few brain cells ago, but yeah. You don't really recall yeah. any of it. I've got it here. In fr- I've got it here in front of me. Okay, for those that didn't right read now. it, it was a story titled "Daniel Snyder was not hands off as an NFL owner." Witnesses told committee, um, and it's a story that essentially, you know, a couple of weeks after the fact, but a story that you know describes what's in those seven hundred and fifty pages of sworn depositions and transcribed interviews. Remember, as I said, Tommy disagreed with me, but my feeling was essentially that um, what we you know what we watched on what what was that day at this point? I don't even know what that day was. Was it June twenty first? It was June twenty second. Okay, twenty second. Um, the hearing of Goodell in my opinion, didn't produce that much because it really wasn't much of a thorough questioning of Goodell. It was more political theater to me. But what I mentioned at the time is that the 29-page memo and a lot of the attachments, which you know include 750 pages of sworn depositions and interviews, much more informative and revealing. You know, we talked last week on the podcast about you know the story from this guy David Pawkin, who was the COO. We neither one of us had heard of him. Several of his stories, including the the spilt milk, you know, this uh, intentional uh, sour milk in the Learner's Sweet story, and you know, a lot of the ways that you know he had treated the employees, et cetera. Um, and so that was that was the gist of the story. But really, to me, the story was all about Dan Snyder, a spokesperson for Snyder, being asked to respond to the story. And in this particular case, actually responding with a statement. The statement read from Dan Snyder's spokesperson, because how many of these stories, Tommy, have we seen from the Post and a lot of different people? You know, the, the, the Post is, you know, from a lot of people are, are getting accused of, of bashing and, and, and piling on. They're not the only ones who have written uh, stories about uh, the team. And by the way, let's not forget that if not for the Post's investigative pieces back in July of 2020, a lot of this stuff still wouldn't be known. Um, but I don't, yes. I, so, so 
the, the many times we don't get a response from Snyder. You know, the team declined to com- uh, declined to comments. Uh, the Snyder's uh, Dan Snyder declined to comment, or there's you know uh, a, a very a minimal statement. This one though went on the offensive from Snyder's spokesperson. Quote: Despite Mr. Snyder's continued apologies and regret. For the historical problems that arose at the team, the Washington Post goes out of its way to assail his character and ignore the successful efforts by both Dan and Tanya Snyder, together with Jason Wright and coach Ron Rivera, for over the past two years to bring about a remarkable transformation to the organization. The Snyders will continue to focus on their league-leading fight to bring greater respect and much-needed diversity and equality to the workplace in the face of constant and baseless attacks from the media and elsewhere, closed quote. So this was an offensive response, and to me, no, no disrespect to Liz and Nikki and Mark in the story. I didn't think the story without that quote was that revealing to me, but I had spent some time reading through that 29-page memo and some of the attachments, not all of them, and we had talked a lot about what was in the story in addition, um, you know, in, in the story already. Now, for some people who hadn't paid attention to two weeks ago, there may, may, it may have been a big reveal, but to me, it's that quote that's in there about Snyder and, you know, essentially going on the ta- on the attack and doing the, you're attacking us without any justification. And oh, by the way, have we told you at all about our great diversity in our organization? Because you don't seem to be mentioning that at all. I have a response to this. What's yours? Well, I mean, I think it was like, sort of like an, an expansion of, sort of like a perspective expansion about the idea that Snyder had been hands-off when he was still involved uh, and piecing some of that right. information together. Uh, and there's a place for that. You know, it's not necessarily breaking any news, uh, but, I mean, there's a lot to consume with this story. And there's, lot, there, there's many stories that can come out of those documents and, and the memo uh, that that that, that com- the committee produced. So I thought it was an important story. As far as Snyder's uh, statement, I don't. I mean, it ignored the shadow investigation, the the elephant in the room from the hearing, uh, and uh, it's it, we're still we're still talking about something that happened years ago. When the question now should be, what happened in the last two years? Yes. So let's start there. This statement is essentially dishonest. You know, first of all, despite Mr. Snyder's continued apologies and regret for the historical problems that arose at the team, you know, there are statements you can find where he talks about regret um, and talks about the fact that you know he was was made he's recently become aware of some of the issues that existed in the organization always at you know a distance as if he didn't have anything to do with it but acknowledging that as the owner of the team there's some responsibility but we know what his real feelings are his real feelings have been reflected in even this shadow investigation he never wants to take 
blame or accountability directly. It's always someone else's fault. So that's disingenuous. Secondly, it's also very disingenuous at this point to attack the Post solely for assailing his character and ignoring the efforts of Dan and Tanya Snyder with Jason Wright and Ron Rivera to make the organization so diverse. Everybody's been uh, assailing his character, and everybody's been talking about how diverse the organization has been. If you if you Google Washington Commanders diverse, you know diversity, you're going to find lots of post stories that reference the growth in diversity. So this is this is really disingenuous. But really, to your point. What it continues to do, as we discussed when Ron Rivera made that statement after the hearing with Goodell, they have to stop doing this thing where they say, stop focusing on the past. We haven't been that organization for the last two years. Bullshit. Your owner was the same guy that he was years ago. He was running, if you believe the testimony under oath, and by the way, the commissioner who admitted it, he was running a shadow investigation. Uh, again, we, we, went, we covered this ground last week or two weeks ago, and I said it doesn't matter to me if Roger Goodell says that his shadow investigation didn't impact the investigation. That's really not the point. The point was Roger Goodell and the NFL didn't say, hey, we're taking over this investigation, but feel free to run your own investigation. That, yeah. that didn't happen. Yeah. And oh, by the way, um, so what? It didn't impact our investigation. Well, that's not what Snyder's intent was. Snyder's intent was to impact the investigation, was to impact the way that the league received the investigation. He put together, according to testimony, a 100 PowerPoint slide dossier attacking those people who, you know, were testifying and attacking certainly Bruce Allen that we know of and blaming it on everybody but him. But just stop with the this is a past issue and it's not a present issue. We've become this guidepost of a franchise in the NFL. You know, it's, it's just not true. They, they have to stop doing that. Ron Rivera, especially one of the few people in the organization with some level of credibility, has to stop doing that. This spokesperson on behalf of the Snyders, we expect what comes out of Dan, you know, Dan's mouth to be, you know, delusional and off base. But, you know, Jason Wright shouldn't hit, shouldn't attach his name to any press release in the future that speaks to all of these issues being harped on as being distant past issues. And that the post is, you know, going out of its way to assail Dan's character and ignore the successful efforts brought about by Dan and Tanya Snyder, you know, in the, the last two years. No, no, he was behaving per usual, okay? He was behaving, you know, on brand for him recently in 2021. And, and that leads me to this, you know, the part of the release that says, you know, you know, the post goes out of its way to assail his character and ignore the successful efforts by both Dan and Tanya Snyder, together with Jason Wright and Coach Ron Rivera, for over the past two years to bring about a remarkable transformation to the organization. The Snyders will continue to focus on their league-leading fight to bring greater respect and much-needed diversity and equality to the workplace in the face of constant and baseless attacks from the media and elsewhere. 
every single statement from the team, it seems like, over the last year or so, has focused in on the kind of organization they've become over the last two years related to diversity and inclusion. Or in this particular press release, much much needed diversity and equality in the workplace. Okay, first of all, people have been talking about this. They have been. Um, the people understand, we know, because they keep telling us about how diverse they are, about how inclusive they've become. This is a, this right now, you know, it it can't be on the field performance. Uh, It can't be, you know, anything ownership related. It is now about, uh, you know, don't look over here, look here, where we've hired based on trying to emphasize diversity and inclusion. I have a problem with this, the constant harping on this. You know, the fact that they have to keep going to this is an indication that they have very little else to be proud of. But the other thing, Tommy, this does is it really, you know, I wonder how it makes Martin Mayhew, Jason Wright, Julie Donaldson feel when the team keeps emphasizing the fact that they were hired because the team was really trying to become more diverse and inclusive rather than on merit. Jason Wright was hired on merit. You know, he he was a former player. He had an outstanding career at McKinsey. Um, he He understood the league. He had never run anything necessarily, so there was certainly a lack of experience there. But you could say that he was hired on merit, you know? For, uh, Martin Mayhew was a previous general manager. How about just focusing on you've hired these people on merit? You can talk about occasionally, you know, that you've become the more you know most diverse or inclusive organization in the, in the sport. But really, it's best if other people talk about that because it makes it it makes people believe that your hiring was solely based on trying to become more diverse and inclusive. And in many ways, that diminishes the hires that you made. And they shouldn't be diminished, necessarily. So anyway, I just... The the whole statement is, you know, from Saturday that they, they put out there, uh, the Post asked them for a statement and they got one, was dishonest and, to me, just misguided per usual. Um if I were them, I would just not respond to anything anymore um, and just hope like hell my football team wins games and can start to draw some people to the stadium and to some eyeballs to TV and to corporate sponsors who all of a sudden are interested in a winner. That's what you got to hope for, that somehow you get lucky and you start to win. I just... You know, it's interesting. You know, they're, they're relying on public relations agencies to guide them in this. They're not relying on the PR people out in, with the in, team. in Ashburn who, yeah, understood. who have enough to do with, with the football team. Right. I mean, they really shouldn't have to be able to, to deal with this as well. So they're hiring high-powered PR But they're not hiring high-powered PR people to tell them to shut up. You know? You're right. But these people, if they want to earn their money, they better present a strategy, even if it's a bad strategy. It's a bad strategy. They're not going to... They're not, Paying somebody to say, Dan, you need to shut up. We're done here. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, 
if he weren't such a horrible owner and a and a horrible person as an owner, uh, and I'm specifically saying that because that's what we know him to be as an owner, a bad guy, a guy that treated people badly, a guy that set the agenda for every other team executive to treat people poorly, um, then he wouldn't need a PR agency all the time. Like this, but but I get your point. I just personally, if they said to me, what would your PR strategy be? I would say, I know this isn't really good for my fees, for my ongoing retainer, but I would <laughs> shut the hell up and try to win some football games because you are so toxic. You are perceived to be so disingenuous. There is no turning people around with a PR strategy. Tommy, there isn't. There's no PR strategy oh, I know that, that can turn his yeah. reputation around. Now, the only thing that can save him now is time. If he, like you said, if he can ride this out, and but but you know he can. That's the thing. He's such a self-destructive individual. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any amount of time that can pass without him creating another shitstorm. I mean, we're, we're 22 years now. You know. I mean, like you could say, well, if he just get past this, and then kind of like be quiet for two years, maybe, maybe, and 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 the football team plays better, maybe things will calm down. But he doesn't seem, based on what we know, his track record, he doesn't seem capable of that. The, the strategy of attacking the post um, is, look, this is not about you know. Your, your own political persuasion thing and chalking it up to a left-leaning biased outlet trying to take down, you know, a pro-Trump owner and a bad guy like Snyder. That's not what it is. People have lined up from all corners of the media universe to weigh in on Snyder, and none of it has been positive. Nobody in any form of media is backing Snyder. And nobody that's ever worked for him that is now gone back Snyder. Not one. Have we have we heard from anybody who has said, actually, my experience was he was incredibly generous, incredibly great with people. Um, this was a, a positive environment that people were working in. It was uh, it, it, no. it, it fostered this uh, this entrepreneurial spirit in everybody. Everybody had a chance to weigh in. His office door was open to everybody. I'm not suggesting that's that's the right way to manage. No one's come forward to say that, as, as far as I know. The only people, the only people that can say anything resembling uh, kind or, or not negative about him are those on his current payroll. The people on his current payroll, all they do is just focus on the Snyders and the incredible diverse, the diversity of their executives and uh, being the most diverse organization in the league. That's all they can focus on. They certainly can't focus on, you know, wins. They can't focus on the past. Tommy, the parallel investigation, without it, you could make the case if you were on their side. You could make the case of I wouldn't. I would never have a statement that said, you know, um, d- despite his continued apologies and regret, that's laughable. Um, but. You could certainly, if he hadn't been running this parallel investigation, and by the way, if he had taken the $10 million fine without calling people and saying that he wasn't fined, taken a, a legitimate you know, quasi-suspension and not called people and, say, and told people he wasn't suspended, you could say, look, 
it was really bad, and now it's much better. And that goes for you know the own, and that goes done? for ownership he, too. And he could he could have taken a leave of absence. He could have suspended himself. Oh, he yeah. In a way, I mean, as as a gesture, with more powerful uh, symbolism than what was done. But again, he's not capable of this because I mean, he, I mean, you know, the thing, the 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 Bruce Allen attack, is going to hurt him. It's going to hurt him. Yeah. I, I just have a feeling that it's it's going to come back to haunt him. And he clearly, I mean, his bitterness towards Bruce Allen to the point where, you know, he didn't want to pay him. Uh, he was pissed off about Bruce texting congratulations to Ron Rivera at one point, And now he, he tried to lay the whole yeah. dysfunction, you know, the whole campaign off on Allen. Uh, I mean, Bruce, Bruce could be just as petty and evil as Dan. And I doubt if Bruce is lying low letting this wash off his back. One year ago, when they fined him $10 million and, you know, announced this, you know, moving away from day-to-day and Tanya was going to be the co-CEO, I told you, and I said this, I said, and then when when you told me that they were calling people, including you, to say, no, 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 he wasn't suspended, the team was suspended, we want to make it a point that you guys know he wasn't suspended, the team was suspended, uh, the team was fined, excuse me, the team was fined. He wasn't fined, and the, uh, there was no suspension. And I told you that day, this is just so par for the course because he is just incapable of understanding, A, his role in all of this, and B, that it would be beneficial to him and the league if the perception after July 1st when they announced the suspension or they announced the fine, if he had actually been suspended, like it would have benefited them so much if Dan Snyder was fined $10 million for the, uh, for the uh, organization's toxic workplace and he was also suspended from his team for the next six months. Tanya Snyder uh, will be the, the co-CEO and will run day-to-day operations, but no. He couldn't take that. So it made the, the announcement of that seem like a slap on the wrist. And I told you at that time, it would benefit him to have been suspended. Like in, and, but he's incapable of understanding that, even to this day. Anything, I agree. Anything else on this? And day? you know, tomorrow, what? tomorrow is another day. Who knows what tomorrow will bring with this organization? It's like that calendar. You know, the, the daily Washington Commander's fuck-up calendar, 365 days a year. I'm tired of this, but when I read that quote in that story on Saturday afternoon, I was... fired up. I was just like, you, you, why do you people keep doing this? Well, they do this because he wants to do this. He's vindictive. He thinks that it's a one media outlet attack on him. And look, he's had a history with the Post. You know, there's no doubt that the team and the Post have been at odds for a long time. By the way, after the Post at one point long time ago was a sponsor, I mean, of the team in many ways. Um, But, you know, I I can't remember where it started. I mean, but they've been at odds for a while. But this is not about the Post continually attacking him. Cook hated the Post, too, and actually boycotted them. For a time, that's not particularly unusual uh, in this town. 
Yeah. So uh, Cook was the same way. But again, so he thought the Pope it's, was it's, out to get him. It's delusional to believe that your problems stem from the Washington Post constantly attacking you. It, 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 again, it's another indication of trying to pass the blame buck. It just, it's, it's his move. Sally annihilated him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just annihilated him. Her last, um, her last couple of paragraphs. Uh, how many, how many times now has Snyder claimed to publicly cede authority and pretended to be hands off for the health of the team? only to tyrannize behind the scenes and invariably whack others for his mistakes. Coaches, general managers, executives, by the score, finding themselves slurred and slimed and used as human shields. He's an inveterate loser who exhibits all the forthrightness of a garden snail. She writes, his fey conduct is... F-E-Y conduct, and his clear lack of respect for a woman at a dais, uh, committee chair representative Carolyn Maloney, reminds you of nothing so much as, the, as, as a line the great sports writer John Shulian once wrote. Do you know who he is, John Shulian? Oh, yeah, I'm friends with John Shulian. Okay. He was a great writer. He wrote about... He wrote, wrote screenplays in Hollywood, wrote uh, Xena, Princess Warrior, and... Uh, Wise guy, but okay. go ahead. Okay. Uh, he, she writes, nothing so much as a line that the great sports writer John Chulian once wrote about another sneering, shrinking little martinet of the sports world, Billy Martin. He is like a rat studying to be a mouse. <laughs> That's really a good line. Um, That's pretty good. I remember reading that. It was great. She, she she then wrote, uh, she then quoted Maloney, Mr. Snyder's not been held accountable. His refusal to testify sends a clear message that he's more concerned about protecting himself than coming clean with the American people. And then her final line, Sally's final line, that's because there's never any such thing as a cleaned house so long as he's still in it. And that's really the point. That's like the overarching theme to all of this. Took us a while to get to it. But the bottom line is, as long as he's there, it's dirty. It doesn't matter what the rest of the organization has done for two years. It doesn't matter how diverse their workplace is. He is still in it, so it can't be clean. Sally, weighing in with uh, another good one on what a rat studying to be a mouse Dan Snyder is. All right, you got anything else on this? No, nothing else on this. Like I say, I'll be curious what this week brings because every 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 week that passes, there's a new revelation. Uh, the commanders have announced that tomorrow morning they're having a press conference for Terry McLaurin, so that will call some attention away from the uh, from the the, the daily uh, grind, so to speak. Very happy for Terry McLaurin, which leads us to our final segment of the show, and that is the most underrated player on the roster for the Commanders. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We'll finish up the show with this Football Outsiders um, report. Uh, Football Outsiders is one of my favorite spots to go to. They they are um, the a site that has the the DVOA stat that I always reference during the course of the season many times, I think it's a much more kind of advanced number that really evaluates offenses, defenses, special teams um, better than some of the, the traditional stats. Um, Football Outsiders put together a list of the most underrated player on each of the 32 NFL teams. And they did so um, – more subjectively, I mean, they use some of their numbers, but they also uh, essentially uh, in their open said underrated can mean several things. It could refer to a good player conventional wisdom tells us is mediocre, or it could refer to a useful player who doesn't receive the star treatment from NFL fans. Um, And so they had a list of players. Washington's player, before I saw this, somebody sent me the link to it. You didn't send it to me, right? You didn't send me this link. No. Somebody else sent me this link. And and before I opened it, I guessed that the most underrated player on the roster would be J.D. McKissick. That's what my guess was before I opened up and read this story. I think J.D. McKissick was really missed last year when he got hurt. I think he's a really valuable player. I think they're lucky to have re-signed him. I think, you know, those of you who uh, are counting on this team to have a big year should be glad that J.D. McKissick was re-signed and is in the fold. I thought he was really good for them. So that was my guess. Um, That wasn't who it was. The player that was listed as the most underrated player on the commanders was Antonio Gibson, another running back, just the wrong running back. And they wrote, Gibson finished sixth in rushing DVOA as a rookie in 2020, then rushed for 1,000 yards on a bad team with no passing game and while playing through multiple injuries. His reward was the team bringing back J.D. McKissick, even though Gibson is more, uh, more than qualified to be a good receiver, and then the commanders drafted Brian Robinson Jr. in the third round. Gibson at 6'2 and 220 pounds has feature back size and has showed feature back skills, but the commander's moves might be preventing him from being one. So I'll ask you first, um, who do you think the most underrated player on the roster is? Well, I've been trying to run run them through my head to find somebody a better choice than than McKissick, and I can't. I agree with you on that. Uh, I think he's more valuable to the offense than Antonio Gibson is. I think this is sort of not putting lipstick on a pig, but uh, certainly putting makeup on what would normally be maybe an attractive one, but not as attractive as these guys make him out to be. Okay? I, th- I think they're dressing him up to be a little bit prettier than, than he really is. Okay. 
Um, by the way, I did this on radio this morning, and my producer weighed in as well. And there are a couple of others that would be good answers. Cameron Curl would be a really good answer as an underrated player on the team. Uh, and then you could go, if you're talking about you know a, two players in particular that don't get maybe the national attention that they should, you could say John Allen and Terry McLaurin. I mean, both are, are, are obviously viewed as very good players, but... You know, I think sometimes, I mean, John Allen did not make the all-pro first or second team. And there were two or three players in front of him in vote-getting that I thought weren't as good as John Allen was last year. Terry McLaurin isn't even as rated as high at his position as John Allen ha- is. Um, you know, we've talked many times about the receiver stuff, but, you know, Terry McLaurin, some would say, is actually underrated in the view maybe of, of those outside of Washington. Somebody mentioned Logan Thomas, and I actually liked that one. I think Logan Thomas's potential is sometimes under-discussed. I, I don't know what he's going to be like coming off the serious injury, but I thought that in 2020 and before he got hurt last year, there was the promise of a big time. I'm talking about upper echelon pass-catching tight end. I think Logan Thomas has that skill and talent. He's 31. I understand that. But, um, you know, especially for a guy like Carson Wentz this year, if Logan Thomas is healthy, maybe he'll realize that. I'm not that uh, um, upset with the Antonio Gibson thing because I like Antonio Gibson. I think Antonio Gibson's better than Pro Football Focus thinks. The Pro Football Focus really uh, downgrades uh, Antonio Gibson for, for leaving a lot of yards on the field. I think the team does that. I think that's why they drafted Brian Robinson Jr. Um, I, I think that they are down a little bit on Gibson, and I don't think it has, a, you know, I think it has something to do with the fumbling problem. He had six fumbles last year, lost four of them. Uh, that's a fumbling problem by any definition. He has a fumbling yeah, issue. He's got a fumbling issue, and that's a big-time issue. And if you don't protect the ball, you know, at some point, no matter how much promise you show, uh, you're you're not going to get the opportunities anymore if you don't protect the ball. But I thought he improved with his vision last year. I think 6'2", 220 with 4'3", speed, have, having not played the position in college, I like a lot of what Antonio Gibson is. I think Antonio Gibson was massively, massively impactful and one of the one, two, or three, one of the top three reasons for their four-game winning streak that they had last November. Um, into the beginning of December when they beat Tampa, Carolina, Seattle, and then uh, the Raiders in Vegas. I think he was a big part of that. So is he underrated? I don't know, um, but I do think he's a good player, and I think that they would be nuts not to give him this third season to see if he is kind of a big-time you know, bellwether running back, like a guy that you can hitch your your wagon to when you need to. Because I think he does have that kind of potential. But that's what I – I mean, that's me. You know, I think, I think you're right, but I don't necessarily see the team like they do as to blame for these problems. Wait, say that again. I'm blaming the team. I mean – uh, they're blaming the team. Oh, football for him outsiders. Not realizing his potential. Yeah. 
I don't necessarily agree with that. Oh, I don't. I don't agree with that either. I mean, they they conveniently leave out the fumbling problem from their description after yeah. they've called him the most underrated player on the roster. So that's 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 a problem. Number two um, is that. Uh, well, look, I, I I do think when they say he's got feature back size and has shown feature back skills. I think he also has feature back speed and I would say feature back versatility. I actually agree with all of that. And I think that maybe with a quarterback, you might even see that more than you've seen it in the first two years. I mean, when you don't have the ability to really stretch the field at quarterback, which has been their, you know, part of their problem the last couple of years, with the exception really of Haskins, who could throw the ball down the field. Um, for the few games in, in 2020, uh, I think that he could thrive even more. But what's weird is I think them drafting Brian Robinson Jr. is an indication that they don't think he can be that guy. You don't draft a running right. back in the first I three agree. rounds. Yeah. So yeah. They, they know more than we do, but I like Gibson. I, I, I don't like his fumbling problem. But I like him as a back a lot. I think he has the potential to be a star running back in the league. I hope they're not bailing on that idea. But they might be. Uh, but I would still go J.D. McKissick as the most underrated player on the team. I think they really missed him last year when he went out. I think that was a a, a player they they really missed. He is phenomenal as a playmaker in space. And with Taylor Heineke, a quarterback last year, you needed just your playmakers more than anybody else to make plays. The quarterback, especially off schedule, could make some plays. McKissick was one of those guys. He was crucial um, in the early part of uh, uh, of, of the season and keeping them super uh, competitive when they were losing games, but they were losing games you know, in kind of competitive fashion. And then obviously the game, the, the games that they won, uh, he had a massive impact. I mean, J.D. McKissick last year, when you look at, at some of the games he, he had, you know, against the Giants in that game where they won the game, um, you know, 83 yards in pass receiving yards. He had um, 10, uh, eight catches for 65 yards in a Kansas City game that was much closer than the final score indicated. Remember, Washington had a lead in that game, and Hopkins missed that field goal to extend the lead uh, in the third quarter. Um, and then the Denver game, he was great in. Eight catches, 83 yards. The Atlanta game, obviously, he was phenomenal in with that final uh, touchdown. Uh, I, I liked McKissick. I, I, I like McKissick a lot. I think They've got a lot of weapons on offense. They could be dangerous on offense. What else you got for the show today? What about the Nats they losing have, four they to have the a lot of They have a lot of untested weapons on offense. Well, McLaurin so. and, you know, McKissick aren't necessary. And Curtis Samuel aren't untested. It's just it whether really or not, is. It's just whether or not Samuel will be available and healthy. He's certainly been tested. Yeah, well, that would, we know he's a good player. That would well, he hasn't been a good player here. Well, no, but he was an excellent player in Carolina. Right. He just has been hurt here. Yes. Unrealized. Therefore, he's untested. Unrealized okay. would Unrealized. be the way I would describe it here in Washington. There you go, Webster. Unrealized. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, the Nats, you know, one of the things, 
I, I said at the beginning of the year, a lot of things would have to go right for them to be competitive. I would have thought one of them was the opportunity to play the Marlins 19 times in a season. Wow. That hasn't worked out. <laughs> I mean, to get swept. I mean, it's, it, by the way, it's the second straight year they've been swept on July 4th weekend. Last year it was by the Dodgers. That's a little bit better um, than being swept yeah. by uh, the Marlins. But, uh, yeah, they're pretty bad, aren't they? They're bad. They're bad. Yeah, they're bad they're, team. They're, they're, they're 2008 bad. Uh, but the only two things that matter right now, really, uh, three things. Uh, and the main thing is Mike Rizzo's draft will be coming up. How he does in that, they've got a high draft pick, uh, like the fifth pick in the draft. Uh, you know, it's been a long time since they've drafted that high. Uh, so Mike needs to make the most uh, out of this draft. And who's going to own the team? Everything else is on hold. Soto. Pretty much. Well, I don't think Soto gets decided until the new owners come in. Okay. Um, hard, hard, to, hard to watch him. I mean, uh, you know, by the way, the, the trade deadline, you, 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 I mean, I, I would think you believe that Josh Bell is going to get dealt, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and what about Cruz? I don't know how much they're going to get. I don't know how much, you know, Cruz will get dealt too, probably. You know, he's been a disappointment. He hasn't been the productive player he had been when he hit 32 home runs last year in Minnesota. That was the, one of the other things that needed to go right for them. He needed to at least match his 2021 season, and he hasn't done that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I don't, th- I don't know how much they're going to get out of trading deadline. Obviously, they'll trade some players for prospects, but, uh, I mean, I'm, they'll have to get lucky to get somebody who will help them down the line in those trades. Do you think, do you think somebody like Patrick Corbin gets dealt? He's no, a, I don't think so. He's got a con. He's, he's they own too much money still. I, I think he's got an untradeable contract. Okay, he because he has really pitched well. I mean, he pitched well yesterday. Yes, he has. You know, he's pitched, yeah, he's really, pitched really well his last two outings. That was the, one of the other things I said needed to go right for him. They needed the 2019 Corbin. Yeah. So, so there every almost everything that was supposed to go right went wrong for them this year, and that was only just to be competitive. Not necessarily to be good. <laughs> what do you think about the Mark Spears, the NBA writer, report that Golden State's interested in Kevin Durant and might trade for Durant? I have no opinion. I don't know how the NBA works anymore, Kevin. <laughs> do you? Uh, do you know how it works anymore? Do I know how it works? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, what, what these teams- I, I, what these executives are looking for, what they're thinking, what the players are thinking. I mean, I'm so far removed from the thought process of an NBA player, I don't have a clue. I mean, Nikola Jokic got the most, the, the biggest deal in the history of the league, five years, $270 million. He's really good. But then Bradley Beal got five years for $251 million. He's just good. Um, John Wall got paid $47 million last year not to play basketball. Russell Westbrook, who really can't play basketball anymore on a winning team, just picked up a player option for $47 million. Um, Kyrie Irving is one of the most dysfunctional 
team sport players in recent memory, and he just, because they couldn't trade him, picked up a player option and, and is getting paid $36 plus million. Kevin Durant got every single thing he asked Brooklyn for, including Kyrie Irving and really not a real coach, just a guy like Steve Nash who would let Kyrie and Kevin sort of help him coach, and now he's yeah. demanding a trade. Um, and now we're realizing that Kevin Durant, and good for Brooklyn, if this is what's going on, because I said to Wilbon, uh, Wilbon was on the show Friday. If you didn't listen to that, it was it was really good. I said to Wilbon, and he totally agreed, I'm not trading Kevin Durant unless I get back what I should be getting back, back for Kevin Durant. I did everything he asked me to do for the last two and a half years, and now he wants out with four years left on his deal? Really? Well, then I better be getting back young superstars and draft choices for the next 10 years, you know, to, to trade Kevin Durant. And then you look at Durant and it's like, okay, um, he joined Golden State. He's a great player. He's not a good player. He's an all-time great player. He wins two titles yeah. at Golden State, and he's he's largely responsible for those two, even though they've won a couple of, uh, of titles without him. He was great last year in the series against Milwaukee, and and was an absolute um, warrior for the, for the uh, Nets over the last year and a half when he was playing when Kyrie wasn't and Harden wasn't very good and all the things that were going on. But you're gonna leave. You're going to leave now, and then, oh, by the way, you might go back to Golden State? Oh, my God. What does this do for your the people? The, the long-term legacy of Kevin Durant, like, couldn't win one in OKC, joined up with the team that beat him, won two, leaves to prove that he can do it on his own, and then says, you know, then can't do it on his own and goes back and, and joins Steph, Clay, and Draymond. I mean... I don't. I don't know. I saw it the. Can't help his legacy. I wouldn't. It can't. I, I wouldn't accept the trade that was being th- floated out there by Spears, Poole, and Kaminga, and Wiggins, and draft choices, and maybe Wiseman. Apparently, they can't even make that trade anyway because of rookie deals. Um, I, I, if I'm Brooklyn, man, I need a super, a potential superstar back. You know, I need Devin Booker in picks. I need Zion Williamson, who just signed the the Big Max extension, um, and 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 lots of picks, or at least Brandon Ingram and lots of picks. If not, I go to Kevin Durant and I and I just say, I really tried. I couldn't do it. You got to play for us. Sorry, it's not in the best interest of our organization to trade you for peanuts, just because you don't want to be here anymore. We did everything you asked us to do. Um, we and 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 including trying to trade you. But we're not going to do it. Uh, it's, a, it's a league where the owners have zero power. Oh, there's no sport that is more player-driven and player-run than the NBA. And now, now LeBron apparently wants, after basically throwing uh, Kyrie Irving out, as everybody else has, because he's in the twilight of his career and realizes in the West next year they're not going to contend without another third great player. Now he's going to be able to handle Kyrie in L.A. So let's see if Kyrie gets dealt yeah. to the Lakers. It is a drama. Um, I, I I can appreciate those that that say it's not a drama for them, though, that it's a little bit too much um, in the way of, you know, uh, yeah. players running uh, a league with, with, with very little kind of slowing down the madness, it would seem. On the other hand, there's no drama in Washington. It's smooth sailing. 
smooth sailing with those Wizards. Well, we'll see. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a 45-win team <laughs> at best. All right. You done with me? Smooth sailing, baby. Yeah, I'm done with you. I'm done with you, too. Go ahead. Dismiss me. I'll be back tomorrow uh, with a guest. I promise. That's it for the day. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.